Hello and welcome to episode 67 with Harry Beard, the world's best youth design competition, Prospect 100. Harry co-founded this a few years ago and I'm really, really excited to hear about his journey in developing it. Harry is someone I keep running into unplanned and I think having that is a, as, a, as a starting point for our conversation is always really interesting. Harry, I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of what Prospect 100 is and and what it's aiming to do. Sure, no. First of all, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, we keep bumping into each other. I'm glad to say the first connection was in my hometown of Bedford. And I always tell people, they think I'm joking. I'm really not. Bedford is the center of the universe. And, and one day people <laughs> will appreciate that. And I'm glad that Bedford brought us together. Absolutely. But um, no, so Prospect 100, we effectively run global design competitions aimed at young designers. And it really started at the beginning of lockdown because myself and a couple of friends that I met online and my two friends that I started with never met each other before. We were just saying at the beginning of lockdown, you know, naturally the conversation is going to be focused more towards health and, and you know, people mm. who, who are going to be, their health is going to be affected by the pandemic, et cetera. So we were just thinking, okay, what, what could we do to help other people in, in a smaller, more insignificant way, I guess, but well, not, I guess I know, but, you know, still something that would be important to people. And we felt that particularly young creatives, you know, young creatives have such, and I'm not a creator myself, but really going off of like my, one of my co-founders is a prominent designer, et cetera. And going off of the comments of other young creatives, I know, you know, a lot of young creatives will often struggle um, anyway, because so often when you're at school, quite often, you know, your teachers maybe don't promote art as a real subject or your friends maybe don't mm. take it as a real subject in a lot of ways. And so I think that if you're a young creative, it can often be quite tricky coming up, you know, having that support network anyway. So when you're at home, potentially on your own, locked away without inspiration, without potentially motivation, without, you know, any collaborators around you, mm. how can you stay inspired with your passion? You know, it, it's quite tricky with most passions, but I, I definitely think I, my heart was really with the creatives during that period. So we wanted to start a series of competitions that at first weren't design specific. It was just any creative field that we could really think about so that we could just keep young people inspired in some way, like trying to find prizes to offer, obviously giving prompts or, or just little bits of excitement to help young creatives through the pandemic. And we obviously naturally found our fit with design. And in the last year, particularly, we've been taking this quite seriously and we've started working on these competitions with big brands to offer some unbelievable prizes. Um, I would, you know, uh, I guess, agree with our um, our community when the opportunities are often described as career-defining. And that's really what we focus on giving. It's career-defining opportunities with global brands supported by some of the world's most famous and influential figures from every walk of life judging the competition. And... And yeah, these competitions, free to enter, again, I, I couldn't believe it when I was looking. So many design competitions charge people entry and, and they offer literally yeah. nothing. The pride, there are, I saw, there was a, a friend of mine I was speaking to who's an architecture student and he, he was entering these like design competitions. It was 50 pounds entry. Um, there was no, like the winning prize was like a certificate or you won this competition <laughs> and there were no cool judges or anything. So it's like, our competition is always free to enter. We work with brands like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, and all the way through to Swatch. So like, I can't reveal yet, but the winner of our Swatch competition won 10,000 uh, 
Swiss francs, so about eight grand. Wow. And they're working on an official collaboration with Swatch. You know, if you're 20, I think the, uh, the guy called Chris won that. I believe he's 18 or 19. So Chris, at 18 years old, has a collaboration with one of the world's largest watch brands that has got over 3,000 stores worldwide. And so you can imagine what that's going to do for his career and his CV mm -hmm. at the age of 18. And I think the most important thing, again, is giving self-confidence to our participants. Like even if you don't win, even if you're just a profiled finalist, or we just say, oh, by the way, this celebrity judge really likes your work, the confidence we can give to young designers. So that's, I've rambled a lot there, probably said a lot of things without saying too much. But in effect, we run design competitions and our aim is to really help kickstart young designers' careers. So the people that are most willing and most deserving and, and the best way to find that is through competitions, not just those who like have industry connects already. That's what we really want to bridge the gap to. We want to really help young people connect with the biggest brands, with the most influential people and allow some really talented kids the chance to get spotted. Incredible. That 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 kind of it I can completely imagine that leapfrogging for a career that someone can have through a through winning a competition such as this and the profiling that it provides. It was really interesting. You you talk about creatives and the inherent bias of society to think that their work and their um their pursuit is not as important as those of scientists or, you know, financial people or this or that people who are get, getting paid more than artists. So uh, mm. is that something that you still witness and, and among young people and, and the, the designers who are engaging with Prospect 100? Are they feeling this kind of like backlash from those around them? Yeah, I think, I think it's weird because I speak to, I message a lot of our participants, um, and we've been fortunate to get participants from over different, 90 different countries now. So it's also interesting to hear the perception changes. Mm. And what I find really peculiar is I think a lot of people completely underestimate the importance of design in our lives. That everything yeah. requires design. And actually, I think Kanye West said a quote in an interview with the BBC that really stood out to me, which is like, artists dedicate their lives to making our entire existence better like that that's what they're doing they're trying to make everything more beautiful or they're trying to communicate things to us that are important etc mm. and i think artists for me i keep saying particularly the way the world is moving towards automation etc as it has been for the last like 100 years i guess step by step i really believe the two most important jobs that we'll find probably in, within our lifetimes will be engineers and designers you know people that can build and people that can then i, I guess make turn that product into something that's usable. You know, I always use the example of Apple, I think in this scenario to show the importance of a designer. Steve Jobs was a designer, really. That was his input. And Wozniak was the guy, and we were super fortunate to have had Steve Wozniak as a judge and, and a big supporter of ours. So Amazing. I want to give a shout out to, to him obviously as well. But um, Wozniak was such a smart guy. Like he was the one that really built the Apple computers. He was, he was the pioneer when it comes to the tech space. He was the one that for me what well, is one of the most impressive minds that's still alive today. But Jobs was able to design it and parcel it up in a way that, you know, we as consumers could then use um, and, and find friendly, et cetera. So mm. again, we hail um, Jobs in that scenario, but it's bizarre to me that we then maybe don't hail our, you know, our friends when they're trying to become artists or designers. And, you know, you always hear like, snide comments from some, like particularly thinking about people our age, you might have the odd side comment like that's not a I, obviously here we're talking mainly about i guess university at some point it's like people often say like that's not a real degree it's like yeah i, I don't really know what you, what you mean by that because 
like design is one of the most important things um, in our digital lives. And I, I genuinely believe, and I, I guess my view isn't necessarily qualified just yet. My aim is to hopefully prove that my view is qualified at some point in my life. But, you know, it's designers and engineers for me, that's, that's two really vital jobs um, that I think, you know, people already respect engineering. And I, I hope that more and more respect comes to design. And I hope Prosper 100 in a small way can help, um, you know, be something important for the design community uh, in, in the long term. So yeah, that's, it's an interesting thought. And I, yeah. just to quickly segue, sorry, because I know that there's one thought and there's one story I always love telling. Um, and it's, I remember when I was at school, I was really lucky to meet this like 17 year old guy called Harry Hambly at the time. And he runs an online series called Catnips. So he does these online cartoons, right? Mm -hmm. And well, like it's a bit deeper than that, but yeah, just an easy bite-sized way of describing it. And if you go onto Instagram, type in catnips, K-E-T-N-I-P-Z, I I guarantee everyone listening to this has heard his stuff, uh, seen his stuff before. And I was talking to him about like how he got into ARCs. He had 150,000 followers on Instagram at the time and asking about what he was doing and these brands he was working with, just asking for his opinion. I remember then listening to some friends talking about like wanting to go study art at university and we're asking people like how do i get a job in art how do i you know like i love art i really want to make it my career what do i do and the advice that they were being given or like the tips they were kind of giving to each other from conversations they've been having with people mm. were um let's say quite different to the one that harry was telling me and I, i'm seeing harry who's in industry and i was then thinking this kind of goes to all fields but because of the way the world's changing it I would argue the fastest pace ever. And obviously you need a bit of perspective to say that, but I think it's a very fair comment to make. The Literally the world that we are growing up in is completely different to the world that my parents grew up in and my parents, obviously my grandparents as well. Um, how do young people get career advice anymore? How do young people know how to break into industry? Because, you know, I've spoken to journalists about it before now and I've heard uh, journalists tell me that if they were hiring a junior journalist, one of the big things they would actually look at is social media following and engagement. That would actually be quite an important thing for them. And yet when you're at school, you're not being told to like, yo, if you want to become a journalist, get onto Twitter and start building your following and start like becoming known as a voice for a certain topic. Mm. No one's telling you that. They're telling you to go and study English at university or they're telling you to go and read Shakespeare, whatever it might be. But they're not telling, but yet if you were to ask a junior, like I've got a friend that runs a massive like online fashion magazine, He's been effectively a journalist for the last six years, posting four or five times a day on Twitter relentlessly. And you know that if he then went for a job at Vogue or Hypebeast or Heist or wherever, he's way more likely to get the job than someone that necessarily, like traditionally would be the best fit for the job. So yeah. I also have this thing of, it's so hard for young people to necessarily find great career advice, which is why I think Prospect 100 is important. So we can help connect young people directly with organizations, but also... Yeah bring those leading minds the people who are actually at the forefront of industry so whether that be for like a design competition uh, we'll probably get onto it soon but we've just launched a new one and we've got figures like emmanuel perrotin who's a very famous gallery owner so that's a very traditional world of art and design etc all the way through to some like dude with sign who is almost the antithesis you know and it may be less designy but nevertheless like a very modern take on on industry and, and how to get into i guess uh yeah des design slightly less yeah. link but even yeah you know you can understand i guess my point of bringing those people directly to young people so we can then interview them or talk to them and get their perspectives when they're reviewing the artworks so if you're a young person you're learning direct from source 
Yeah, and you're getting accurate advice, not uh, not like prepackaged, uh, uh, dated advice. And and I I think it's really important. I I sometimes find it difficult to communicate what I'm trying to do in my life with the older generation. Not that the the older generation is is not very very important in their wisdom experiences and teaching us and sharing with us what you know what to do next. But at the same time, there is a great divide. The world that we live in has changed in such a way that it is very different. Even like the the jobs we have and the the approaches and the way we get into these roles, very different to to what it was in even fifty years ago. Um, I wanted to pick up on something you you mentioned. You know the importance of design in our in our lives, and I wanted to pick your brain really because our as human beings we are quite attuned to to art. We, we, we can see it uh, and subconsciously, right? When we go to a shop, we, we tell the aesthetic. You know, when we pick up a phone, we want to have certain things in a certain way. We like the design. We like the feel of it. And when we go out to buy something, we, we gravitate towards with things which are beautiful. So human beings are, you know, we're, we are sensitive to, to art. Uh, and uh, I would argue, you know, even the UX of a website is art. The kind of the, the sure. configuration and the design, these are all things which are very, very human-centered. But... And it kind of like this kind of contradiction annoys me because uh, at one stage we are appreciating and wanted in our lives. And as soon as you see a slightly broken website design, we, we you know, we say, nah, this is not going to work. So there's such a great importance in having designing people and uh, people with people more qualified and people more um, encouraged to go down this field. And yet, you know, uh, as you say, very, 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 very accurately, you know, uh, you say such someone that you're doing an art degree and it's, uh, it just kind of like brings that couple levels down and I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know. And I, and I think that, you know, I, I would like to think that a lot of people obviously still have the respect that is is deserving to, to the arts, et cetera. Um, but I think it's interesting, like use the perfect example just in day-to-day life. And even my mum yesterday came home with a chocolate bar and it was like from a, it wasn't a, a branded, a brand that, you know, like, it wasn't a dairy milk or a galaxy or something, you know, it wasn't a brand that we'd recognize. And I said, Oh, you know, like, uh, that's interesting. Like, is that, you know, I just made like a, like a site comment about it for some reason. And she said, yeah, I just thought it looked so nice. It's like the packaging mm. made her think the chocolate was going to taste better for some reason, you know, and, mm. and I'm not like, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, I'm not judging, but it's just like, obviously when you're, I guess, thinking about it, you're like asking these questions to kind of like, just be curious. And then, yeah, my mom's like, yeah, so it was literally because of the design of the packaging. So the, the quality of the product almost didn't play a role at all in that yeah. decision for her to buy that chocolate bar. It was yeah. literally just the packaging. And I think, again, it's just something that's so overlooked. And, and it goes yeah. back to my point of Apple's. Wozniak was able to build the best computer possible, but we always attribute Jobs. I, I guess Jobs is mainly attributed for like the work he did in his kind of second coming. But nevertheless, like, he was the design guy and that was arguably as important and, and almost the visionary, like had the vision as well, I guess, but was built the product. But a lot of people would still argue that Jobs was the guy, you know, even, mm. even though he didn't build the physical product, he was the designer behind it. And I think, yeah. again, anyone that's sleeping on design is kind of playing themselves. Yeah. I have to uh, take you back a few years and I, I've loved hearing about Prospect 100, but I want to hear about your journey um, to even pick up something, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, you identified a niche, identified a problem, built something, scaled it, and are now getting some of the biggest people involved in some of the, you know, <laughs> corporations and judges. Everything is in, is in, is happening at Prospect 100. Tell me about 
how you had this very go get it entrepreneurial mindset and approach and where, where is this manifesting in your in your younger years so yeah gosh I, I keep looking at the clock and realizing like uh, sometimes i waffled too much and i have a feeling i'm about to waffle so sit tight i guess um <laughs> so sorry sorry in advance in short i was 14 i moved to new school uh, that's actually how we obviously got connected yeah. and i remember like the friends at this school had maybe like slightly more, let's say expensive hobbies uh, than what I was accustomed to. So like people would want to go on day trips or they'd want to like, you know, go play golf or something and it would always mm. cost. And so I was like really fascinated with the idea at 14 of like, Oh, could I start a kind of business? So that way, a, I'm spending my time instead of spending money, hopefully making money. And it's also mm. like the time I'm using, I'm like, again, the time I'm using, I'm not spending money. Like if that makes sense. And so, I started a clothing brand at 14. I guess that's like the most typical start. I think that is the most um, common startup in the UK, I believe. Um, And yeah, I was 14. It was like fun with my friends, sold some t-shirts to to people. But I remember sending the product to an influencer and influencer, a horrible term, but nevertheless. Um, And they responded with like, they were nice, but they were like, oh, the product quality is not great. Like I'll wear it and stuff, but. I'm not down to promote, like, I'm not going to tag you, but I'll still wear it. So you have the photos because I appreciate that, but I'm not going to tag you if that's okay. Come back, but like, come back to me again when you've got a product. They were actually quite nice about it. And um, it made me think, okay, like take a step back for a second. I realized in that kind of, from that experience, let's say, which lasted, I, I guess, a summer mainly, it was like, okay, product quality was quite important obviously but also i realized about branding you know i was posting these photos of me and my friends wearing the products and we were all like 14 year old kids from like a rural area it's not that cool and so like Mm. if you're like if you're 14 at school the 15 year olds aren't hanging out with you you know like so if i'm 14 on instagram no one above the age of 15 can buy my product so i then started a second like brand kind of a reiteration of that and I really kept it secret. I didn't tell anyone about it. And the point was like, okay, I'm not going to let anyone know that I'm this now 15 year old kid. I'm going to keep that. And I'm going to try and like almost build a brand. So people know the brand. They don't necessarily know the people behind it. So it could be anyone mm-hmm. almost from anywhere. And I focused on the quality. So, you know, started putting tags in the back, started trying to do some slightly more custom stuff, like dip dyeing the t-shirts, which isn't much more expensive at all, but it's just obviously more effort, etc. And that then all of a sudden people were buying the product from like a lot of different countries, particularly like America. I had some, I can send you the links afterwards. Actually, it's quite sick. Uh, these like rappers in America that were kind of big on SoundCloud wearing the hoodies and videos and wow. stuff. And like, it was just, it was just like, if these 25 year old rappers from Atlanta knew who I was, they probably wouldn't like the brand as much as they mm. hopefully did. And I realized kind of by doing that again, you don't have like a kind of sudden epiphany, but you slowly gradually realize the importance of branding. Exactly. And so what was then interesting is when I then revealed to my friends that I've been doing this and like showed them the social media I built up. um, I think my, the school then like got in touch with the local newspaper and they wrote an article about it. Right. And so I then had a local business reach out to me with the idea of running their social media. They were like, hang on, you're a kid. You don't even exist yet. You have like, more followers on social media than us and you're getting sales in more countries than we are like coming around our social media and so that became a project i did with um a couple of friends at school but it then mainly became myself uh just running social medias for companies and particularly like 
when you get to the age of 16, 17, you're doing exams. I didn't want to spend so much time traveling like around the country to drop stuff off, drop, drop clothes off at like pop-up shops to go and pick up stock to do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. And also with fashion, you had such like a, okay, you're going to spend X with the hope of making five or six X or whatever it might be, but you're kind of taking a big risk. I love mm. the social media, like just working with companies every month. My income is guaranteed. Like I know how much I'm earning and, and you start to learn about like recurring revenues and stuff. Yeah. And again, you don't realize it at the time, I guess, but it was stuff like that. And it was a very gradual process. And then when I was doing these social media for companies, you really realize the reason they're working with you is because you're a kid and they think, Oh, this kid understands social media better than me because like they've been on it from the day they were born and like, they just get it. Right. And I'm a small business owner. I don't want to have to mess around with social media. If I can just pay this child to do it, that's, that's better. Right. And I started to realize, okay, if I then want to work with bigger brands, cause I got the, there was like Ernst and Young did this thing and I got recognized and, and all of a sudden this lady started speaking to me and she's like, Oh, so I, um, my agency does the social media for Santander. I was like, Oh, crap that's like quite a big deal but there's no way Santander are gonna let a, a little weasel like myself run their <laughs> social media so you then start to think okay what can I do that actually helps them and it comes down to this idea of okay I understand young people that's the thing that people are effectively paying me for like I understand how to communicate to young people mm. better than they do that that's really what they're commu- like yeah some companies were just because I knew social media but realistically it's because I can speak to young consumers better than yeah. they can and so I was like, okay, maybe I can just like help Santander. And, and again, at the time, like you throw this word consulting around, not really knowing what it necessarily means, but it's yeah. like, you, you, can you effectively help consult bigger brands? We worked with a couple of big brands, but the thing, and I, I became slightly more known for that, I guess, like I really pushed that for quite a while. And I got to like the age of 19 and I was at university and I, I chose my university specifically because it had the best business set up. And I was like, I really think I could create a consultancy here of young people that like help big brands all over the world kind of shape, not just like their social media and stuff, actually like maybe their, their decision on products or anything. Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually something I guess that's become quite prominent now more than anything, but I really had that idea. So I went to university specifically that I could develop this idea out. But the thing I always had on my chest was like, okay, if you're consulting people, you're trying to tell them, like, I know this really well. The minute someone turns around and goes, why do you know this well? Like, that's actually quite a tricky question to answer because I've been riding. Yeah, like, I've been riding off the fact I built one Twitter account when I was, like, 15. Um, and, like, it wasn't, like, it didn't have millions of followers, you know? So I'm not, I can't really justify it to that great a degree. And when you're working with smaller businesses, like, yeah, maybe you can blag the fact that like I'm a young person and, and like to them seven, like 70,000 followers or whatever, like that's a big deal. But it's like when you're talking to Santander or someone, that's not, that's not crazy. So mm. it's like, yeah, there's only so long you can talk about that for. So I've always had this thing in my chest where I want to do my own thing. I want to prove that actually all the stuff I'm saying I know is true and I want to go and do it for myself. And actually, I guess from a business perspective, you'll probably make more money by doing it yourself than helping yeah. others do it. So that's always been a big thing on my chest and I've always been like, I guess I've always like wanted to have a chip on my shoulder in some way. Like I almost give myself a psyche to have a chip on my shoulder. So it's like, there's a quote we were together the other day. I said like, they'll ignore you until they can't. It sounds a bit like aggressive. And it's also not something I like publicly say, but it's like, you know, I I need a little chip on my, on my shoulder to be like, to motivate me, I think. Um, Mm. 
And for me, that was like, I need to prove, even though no one was ever really doubting me, I was kind of like preempting the questions. Like, I need to prove that, so that like it's unequivocal that I know what I'm talking about, et cetera. And like, that's why I say earlier, I'm just trying to prove or validate, yeah. I guess, my point of view. And so, yeah, that's kind of, I didn't know prospect was going to be the thing, but you know, prospect is now the thing that's become that. But it's that pursuit, right? It's that it's that kind of drive towards proving yourself and continuously proving yourself every next step that you take. And it, it's almost like a, a perpetual uh, pursuit, which is like never going to stop because you're always going to be proving the next bigger thing. Now you have prospect well, on 100 with a, with some of the most inspiring you know judges, and yet you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to go to the next level up and next level up, and that kind of is, is a drive behind your, behind what you do. We have only a minute left, and I know it takes it I'm time so to sorry. Not at yeah, all, but I would love to kind of um, close with your words because uh, the way you describe your journey is just inspiring, but also it's also very clearly, you know, you, you didn't fit in the box and you wanted to help those who didn't fit in the box, uh, either as creatives or as at, at the time you were at school. So uh, we would, as, as a Xenos community, would love to hear, you know, where, how, how, how did you go about it? What is one thing that you would, call as a defining approach or method or or philosophy that you use when you feel like you're not in the box but i'm okay i think that the, the number one thing that i've discovered over the last two years of prospect and this really came from my co-founder alex like i've learned a lot from alex um particularly over the last two years and i didn't know him too well before prospect so um like yeah there's one thing i've really learned and that is owning your niche it's like for prospect, we want to be known as the world's best design competitions. That's such a niche, right? Like, I doubt there's anyone else that cares to be known as the world's best design competitions. But I want to, I want to be that. Like, I want to be known in the same way that TED, when they first started, they wanted to be the world's biggest like public speeches, and that sounds like quite a weird thing to say. And then they have TEDx, where like, oh yeah, we're gonna have events that like kids are gonna host it. You know, like the whole concept's bizarre. But now they're TED, we get it. And my point is like, I think for anyone that feels like they don't fit in the box, that can almost be a blessing because you can like find what it is that you're passionate about or your niche and you can go and own that and like kind of scream from the rooftops. Like, yeah, this is who, this is what I'm about and I'm going to own this space. So like, again, for us, mm. is we run design competitions and we're going to like, I'm going to keep telling you about our design competitions until you realize that we are hopefully the best at doing them. Right. And it's like the, a great example would be Francis Bourgeois the train spotting TikToker that's blown up over lockdown. Like, yeah, yeah. There's no niche that's too small, but if you put your hand up and go like, I'm a, I'm a train spotter, like I'm leading the train spotting community, I think find your niche. And, and often this is the one thing where if ever like someone was to ask me, I would say it. And quite often people come back with a niche. Like, okay, so like, I, I'm trying to think of like an example someone's given me, but like I, the, the rebuttal is always like, when you when I say niche, like really think of niche. Don't think, oh, my niche is fashion. Like that's not a niche. Think the North Face, right? If I tell you puffer jacket, there is no way on God's green earth you're telling me a brand other than the North Face. And I'm going to interject yeah. just in case you do. But you know, North Face, they own the puffer jacket. It's such a weird niche item of clothing to own. But when you like walk around the streets, you literally only see North Face puffer jackets. Yes, some people go high end. They go Montclair, Canada Goose, or whatever. But North Face own that garment yeah. in the same way Levi's own jeans or whatever. Correct. And it's they own this one product. And for me, it's always important, again, going to this technical language we kind of pick up over time, share of mind. Like when times are tough, when people aren't spending money necessarily, they'll cut out the brands, like, and this is going more for consumer products, but they'll cut out the brands that are like 
fifth in their mind or below, right? Or probably even higher, like third in their mind or below. But if you want a puffer jacket, like before maybe you'd go and buy like, oh, you see a puffer jacket, a Uniqlo that looks cool because it's green or whatever. Whereas when times are tough, like if you need a puffer jacket because your last one broke, you're just going to buy the one that comes to your mind. The North is going to be a North Face one. 100% it's going to be a North Face one. Um, and it's like, can you make sure that you own your niche so much that when people think of your space, you're the it's first you one remember. to mind? Yeah. Find and, your and niche and own it. And, and again, T-shirts is a tricky one. But it's like, you know, I, I think, think about brands like the North Face when it comes to puffer jackets. Think about Ted when it comes to public speeches. Like think about Francis Bourgeois when it comes to train spotting. Those are niches. And you can then build, I truly believe you can build something bigger around that. Um, you know, like I'm here with Apple AirPods in right now, like Apple owned their space and they were able to develop out into different things. Own your niche. That for me has been like the number one thing. And so if you don't fit in a box in some way, that's a blessing because you'll probably be able to find a niche better than everyone else that's following yeah. mainstream hype. Amazing. Thanks so much, Harry. Full of insights and really, really good advice. It was such a pleasure to have you on. No, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, for anyone watching, if you are an artist or a designer, or you know anyone that's an artist or a designer or an illustrator, of course, please go to at prospect100 on Instagram. Uh, we'd love to have you entering our competitions. We've got a massive one. I don't know when this is coming out, but in May, we are working with a brand that everyone listening to this will know. And we're working on a project that is, what I, I'm going to call it now, it's iconic. Like it's genuinely iconic. So make sure you don't miss out on that one. Absolutely. Do check it out, Prospect 100. I will put a link in the below thing as well as well. Amazing. Thanks so much, Thanks Harry. So much, Take man. care. Appreciate Bye. it. Take care. Bye.